everybody. Welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane. I am your host, uh, Chad Anderson. This is the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Uh, last week, we uh, covered X-Men number 16, which concluded the big battle with the Sentinels. Uh, Master Mold was destroyed, but only because Bolivar Trask sacrificed himself to do so, do so and the big Sentinel base was uh, blown up. Uh, some of the X-Men were injured. Uh, Professor X gathered a giant crystal that shut a bunch of Sentinels down. There was some crazy stuff that happened, but we had a really good time. So we're thrilled to be back today for uh, X-Men 17, which directly uh, continues from the last issue, uh, beginning with some of the X-Men being injured in the last battle. Uh, so again, we're seeing more and more of the continuity as the issues continue into each other uh, more directly. Uh, I am thrilled to be joined again by uh, Day Spring from Power of X-Men and uh, Patrick uh, from Never Ending X-Men. Is that the, uh, what's your handle on Instagram? Patrick? Yeah, you got it. Never Ending X-Men. Just making sure I had it right. And uh, and uh, Rowan is with us for the first time from the It's Lays podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you guys here. Uh, let's have you each introduce yourselves. Uh, feel free to tell us all about your work. Uh, let us hear your gender pronouns. And the question I'll have us each start with today is, uh, tell us some scary movies that gave you nightmares uh, as a kid. All right, so my name is Dayspring and I am the host of the Power of X-Men podcast. And it's a podcast that focuses strictly on X-Men. We highlight creators, writers, actors, cosplayers. We have an Instagram community going on, so check us out at Power of X-Men. We have some really great interviews coming up. We just wrapped an interview with Matt Rosenberg, who wrote Uncanny and Phoenix Resurrection. And I'm sorry to say 75% of that interview is me just asking Jean Grey questions. So, <laughs> But we also have Ryan Penagos, AKA Agent M, Dan Bondrak, who is the Ultimate Alliance director, Kelly Thompson coming up, and Tyler Maine, who was Sabretooth in X1. So lots of great stuff coming down on the podcast. My pronouns are he, him, and what scary movies scared me as a child? So I was always afraid of scary movies. I always loved Jaws, but I think that's more thriller than scary movie. But um, I was scared of every movie, but one movie in particular, and I love horror now, sidebar, I love horror movies now, but one movie in particular was Poltergeist. And I think it was all because of that lore behind the movie, behind the scenes with Heather O'Rourke. Roke, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, but Carol Ann and how she got sick and how the movie was cursed. So I, I was particularly terrified of Poltergeist. Poltergeist, nice. <laughs> I'm an 80s baby. So I have to check out your podcast. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Rowan, go ahead. Uh, so I am Rowan. I am one of the hosts of the It Slays podcast. We are a horror movie review podcast based out of Canada. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. Uh, and I'm trying to think movies that used to scare me. I was a bizarre child that I didn't have much. I was raised on horror movies. So one that always got me was uh, like the TV adaptation of it uh, with Tim Curry. Tim Curry always used to scare me, and I didn't, I don't I don't know why, but uh, yeah, he he always used to do it for me nightmares for for days. Uh, and other than that, maybe Leprechaun. 
Leprechaun always kind of, oh my always kind of yes. got me. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if it was like he was actually scary or he was just like a certified creep. But uh, yeah, those two always did it for me when I was a kid. Why is the It TV movie with Tim Curry far more scarier than the new movie? I don't know why. There's just something about <laughs> Tim Curry. <laughs> he's just he's got that presence. It's that unnerving presence that, that big tim curry energy yes yes <laughs> that we love him for so much <laughs> and then patrick go ahead hi i'm patrick uh my pronouns are he him um i run the never-ending x-men instagram as chad mentioned already um over there i'm reading every x-men comic ever started with the claremont stuff and went all the way up through the 90s then I bounced back to the 60s with the original Lee and Kirby stuff, which, uh, as I mentioned last time, has been a bit of a chore, but uh, making my way through it, working back to continue my uh, journey through the 90s. Um, outside of that, I also uh, co-host a podcast called Every Horror Movie on Netflix, where we are indeed watching, reviewing and discussing every horror movie on Netflix. Uh, we've had Rowan on the show once actually to discuss every Halloween movie ever with us, which was a lot of fun. No, fr- no, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, that's right. You did Nightmare on Elm Street with us. I forgot. <laughs> we've done a few of those franchise reviews. It's always, uh, yeah, it's always a, a journey. Um, and as far as scary movies that scared me when I was a child, this is going to be really sad. I had a, a pretty sheltered childhood. So the first movie that I can remember being really scared of was Peter Pan, the like crocodile with the clock ticking inside him just horrified me. And it, I just, I didn't want to watch it. Um, And then the first like actual horror movie that scared me was not one I actually watched. I was just really terrified by the poster for Hannibal when it came out. And I don't know why there was just something about this sort of creepy picture of Anthony Hopkins with his eye, like all red that just terrified me. And we would drive past Blockbuster and I would like cry and not want to look at Blockbuster or go in because I was so scared of this damn poster. So it's very ironic because now I watch like multiple horror movies a week and it takes a lot to scare me. So I don't really know what changed exactly, but something did. Uh, and oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just going to piggyback off what you were saying about the crocodile in Peter Pan with like the talk or excuse me, the, the clock in him. I mean, it's just so I've thought about that over the years because it terrified me, too, as a child. Oh, oh, and good. I think it's that idea that like death is right there and your time is up at mm. any moment. And I think mm-hmm. that's what I kind of as a child responded to because that was terrifying i was on like my abuela's house on Cayocho, and she would play peter pan thinking me and my primo would enjoy it and no i was terrified <laughs> about that too uh and my name is chad i am i use he him pronouns when i was a kid i walked in on i must have been five or six on my sister and her friends watching poltergeist and that uh, girl, i only probably saw five minutes but that girl being trapped in the tv static scared the hmm. shit out of me for years and somehow it turned into me thinking that ghosts lived in my mom's closet. So I would never go in the mo- in my mom's closet for like five years. The, I think the show that gave me the most nightmares as a child, though, was uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Do you guys remember that show? That theme song would come on and I would like make sure all the doors were locked and the windows were barred. And like I would watch and then I would have nightmares for three days and I would still watch it every week. I don't know what it was about that show. <laughs> it it, it's rebooted now on Netflix mm-hmm. or revived on Netflix. It's really good. I like the, the episodes I saw. 
I'm not so scared anymore. Like I can watch The Walking Dead and, you know, like I enjoy anything that's well done. Uh, but so we, the reason we asked this question, the uh, the X-Men delved into, in the first Juggernaut issue, we had kind of a, sus a suspense build uh, in the comic. But in this comic, we have kind of a horror bend, uh, 1960s style. So uh, it's really fun to have some horror podcasters on the show. Uh, my husband and I have a running joke. Whenever we hear the word horror, we just say the word horror instead. And I'm going to avoid cracking that joke at all times. So when someone says, I love horror, and I'm like, oh, you love horrors? Because that's just a joke that always plays in our house. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid cracking that for the rest of the podcast. Uh, my co-host, Heather, could not be here today. She had a work commitment. So for the first time, we have four dudes. Uh, it's almost like the X-Men. We just need our gene on the side. <laughs> Uh, so let's begin today. We have X-Men number 17 called And None Shall Survive. We're getting near the end of uh, Stan and Jack's run. Roy Thomas is going to be taking over in just a couple of issues. Uh, this was uh, published in February of 1966. Uh, and let's begin just getting some of your thoughts on the cover of, uh, of uh, X-Men 17. What were some of your thoughts? It really stands out because it's uh, monochrome. You don't get that that often uh, at this point in comics. So it it caught my eye. Yeah, it visually catches your eye. But after reading the issue, I didn't know what to expect. And I don't want to spoil the ending just yet. But I was just like, really, that was it? Like, kind of melodramatic there. But <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. It's a very suspenseful issue. You don't know what's happening. Although when you look back on it, you're like, yeah, pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, obviously, the monochrome really stands out. This is always kind of... Uh, uh, interesting like personal issue for me because I was a very late comer to the X-Men as a comic reader and this was actually one of the very first early issues I ever like purchased and uh, I've always loved the cover but I, I, I do agree it's uh, very different on the inside. There's a couple of modern comics uh, Deadpool and Carnage Red White and Blood uh, where or I think there's a Wolverine one too, right? So what you, mm -hmm. you just get this like they're only using black, white, and red in the comic books. See, so this is kind of a, a a a start with that. It is a scary cover considering like 60s teens. You've got this long shadow. The X Men are all in shambles. Professor X's wheelchair is tipped over. He's looking all helpless. Uh, I immediately got the song Roxanne in my head. Put on a red light. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the way my brain works. Uh, but it's kind of an ominous cover. I I, I think it's uh, I think it's very effective. When and we... coupled with the fact that, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, please. Coupled with the fact the copy reads, you must not reveal the incredible to ending to any living soul exclamation point. And remember, we'll be watching you. Like... Now, we're going to presume that everyone has read this issue or will be reading. So I'm not going to save the big surprise reveal to the end. Okay. Uh, we're just going to say it out loud now. The big secret villain at the end of this issue is a returned Magneto. Which is not surprising for us now because we've read a thousand Magneto stories. But in the 60s, he was taken into outer space by the stranger half a dozen issues ago, which would have been about a year in publication history. There's no internet back then. So uh, we just saw Magneto and Toad get yanked into space uh, and they've been gone for a long time. So for a lot of fans, this was probably pretty surprising at the time. Uh, seeing the big reveal. So we're just going to reveal that right at the start of the episode. The enemy, <laughs> the big surprise splash page reveal at the end of this issue is Magneto back to fight the X-Men again. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys big Magneto fans? 
Oh yeah, yeah. just not yeah. this era. <laughs> yeah. I I was gonna say any Magneto that Stanley didn't write. Probably a <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm throwing the shade out already. What's your favorite Magneto story? Oh geez. I you know, I uh I usually have an affinity for kind of, you know, the bronze age, but I will say uh, I really enjoyed what would it probably be something old. It must have been what, seven, eight years now when uh, when they they kind of gave him his own title, I think, with like the Marvel Now relaunch. Yeah, he had the shaped head. Yeah, and, and I did I did really enjoy that. Uh how it was kind of like this like uh detective noir feel. Uh I always like you know just interesting. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't take don't take uh on characters. Yeah, that uh that Colin Bunn series, he wrote that series was a fantastic read. I think my favorite. Uh, I'm going back to when I when I would read in the early years. Uh, when Magneto first took over for Xavier after he went into space and he kind of led the X-Men and the, and the new mutants for a while. I remember being so stunned by that. As I read that, it was such a, a, a bold character decision at the time. Uh, I also really loved him. Uh, and, in when he ran Avalon, uh, oh, when he had the space station and he kind of created his little nation for mutants up there. It's a, it's a bold story that I really loved. I really loved that Rick Remender story he did for him in uncanny X-Force where he comes to Wolverine and he's like, I need you to do something for me. And Wolverine's like, why don't you just do it yourself? And he like gives Wolverine like a little sheet of paper and he realizes it's a Nazi that probably tormented him in, in the camps. And it just that panel of Magneto looking like he's about to cry, telling Wolverine, please, you need to do this for me. I thought just added so much depth to that character. Yeah. Um, but I also love Age of Apocalypse. Like, I love Age of mm. Apocalypse Magneto so yeah. much. Although the ending, when, like, the world is ending, and he's holding his 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 wife, Rogue, and, and his son, Charles, and he's here, like, and I only have Charles Xavier to thank for my beautiful life and everything's going... Like, a nuclear bomb is going off. I'm not thinking of Charles Xavier with my... <laughs> it's the only thing that took me out, but... Uh, Patrick, did you have a favorite? Uh, I have a few. So this <laughs> this one is kind of uh, silly, I guess, but I really love the era of New Mutants where Magneto is the headmaster to the mu- New Mutants and the new, new Mutants, which I apparently can't pronounce, just walk over him every fucking issue. Like they just treat him like an absolute doormat. And it's just always like Magneto kind of like sitting back at the mansion, like wringing his hands about, you know, how to, how to be a better parent basically to the new mutants. Um, There's a lot of humanity to that. And also just a lot of comedy to the way that happens every goddamn issue. Um, I also, this is kind of recency bias because I did read it within the last few months, but I really enjoy the issue. I don't know what number it is, but in the Savage Land, it's towards the end of Claremont's run where Magneto really kind of makes the turn back towards being a heel again. Um, And obviously I'm not a big fan of that transition in the character, but Claremont uh, makes it feel so real and so motivated and makes you feel the trauma and sort of the exhaustion that he's gone through that leads him back to that point. And I really admired the work that Claremont put into that, uh, from what I understand, very editorially forced uh, character development. 
He's an incredibly complicated character, maybe the most complicated in the X-Men uh, mythos, really. He's a, he's megalomaniacal. In this issue, we have him ranting about wanting slaves of mutants. I think that comes up actually next issue. He, uh, he wants to enslave mutant kind. Uh, he's messing with people, but we also have this very softer kind of trauma side where we like uh, appeal to him. He's a a crazy villain who murders people, but then he's like this very sympathetic, soft-handed character at other times. He's uh, he's he's complex. He's a difficult one to wrap your brain around, depending on who's writing him. But uh, Stanley loves to write his crazy, insane, ranting villains back in the 60s. We have Doctor Doom and the Mandarin and all these villains who just like, rah, you know, it's uh, shaking their fists at the sky as they try these ridiculous plots over and over again, uh, which is certainly how Magneto comes across here. Uh, so as we jump into the issue, we have uh, we have the X-Men being uh, taken care of a little bit. The Sentinel base has been destroyed. The military has rushed in to offer some aid. And we see a little bit of consequence taking place. Uh, Beast has a broken foot, it appears. Uh, Iceman is wounded, although we're not really sure why. But he's very, very affected and almost sinking into a coma. Uh, uh, Cyclops is hurt. Angel and Jean are kind of getting taken care of a little bit as well. We have Professor X pretending not to know them, where he's just like, oh, I can't let anybody know that I know these people, otherwise I'll be associated with them, which we do a lot of queer identity exploration in Graham Malkin. There's this idea of like, oh, I know those gay people, but I'm not gay, so I'm gonna pretend not to know them so that nobody will know that I'm secretly gay. I'll pretend to be straight, but those, those guys, they're okay, right? Like it's a, <laughs> there's almost a bizarre, uh, bizarre twist there. what do you guys think of these first couple pages? What stood out to you? Um, yeah, there's, uh, Professor X does a lot of thought bubbling about, uh, you know, preserving his identity, which is one of the more ludicrous elements of early X-Men is just that they're trying to conduct this farce that he's not actually a mutant and just is a normal teacher. Um, yeah, there was there was a lot of I just. I love, I love and love to hate the amount of internal monologue that happens in these, this era of comics. There's so many words on these pages. <laughs> yes. So many. I, you know, that scene with Iceman where Xavier is thinking he's having that internal monologue saying that like, oh, his injuries are more serious than I thought. I'm like, you're his professor. You have access to his medical history. And him being in ice form is probably not helping. And you're, what was the excuse? Like, you can't drop your ice form because your secret identity can't be revealed. And like, I remember that issue. I don't know if it was like an X-Men first class issue or maybe ultimate X-Men, but where Iceman and Spider-Man are together and Iceman drops his like ice form and he's like, I'm actually Bobby Drake. And Spider-Man's like, who? So I just can't help thinking of that here too. It's like, who cares if they find out who he is? I mean, I get it. You know, you don't want the media to know, but I just thought, again, another douchey move from Xavier, like your students are injured. You're making them keep their ice form, their masks on. You as their instructor probably have their medical history, something that can help the doctors and save their lives. Yet he's being so insistent on keeping their identity safeguarded. It just, I think this idea of weaponizing youth, sorry, weaponizing youth is terrible. We later learn uh, if Iceman is wounded in his ice form and he changes back to human, he like heals up pretty nicely, right? Like oh. that, that's kind of 
I, maybe, I mean, like he can be shattered into pieces and put himself back together. I'm but... pretty sure that was Emma Frost who taught him that lesson. Emma yeah. Frost, who should have been teaching the X-Men since day one, although she was probably <laughs> their same age. Yeah, she's like a teenager here uh, in this era. But yeah, but he he doesn't know that at this time, right? Like he's in the hospital and we'll we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, Beast on page one where he's like adoring his toes and calling them virtually priceless is my favorite thing about Beast <laughs> in this whole issue. And he gets real awful in a while, but he's adorable on page one. Um, as we move through this, we see the military kind of recognizing maybe mutants aren't so bad. Look, they helped us out here. And Xavier kind of arrogantly thinking, because he's kind to us, I'm going to release this military general from the mental hold I was putting on him, which is, which is uh, again, ethics of telepathy. Uh, we've talked about that in the trial of Professor X, but uh, it's problematic at the very least as he's trying to protect their identities. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on the military's interactions with the X-Men, if any? I mean, I was going to say... <laughs> I think his interactions are about as uh, as good as his interaction with the doctors later on, where, I mean, you know, <laughs> and not to harp on Stanley's writing, but I'm like, not, no one's buying any of this facade that uh, Xavier is laying down. Uh, you know, it's obvious, obvious they know each other. Uh you know the ethics of it i was gonna say not even the ethics of of the military but i mean he obviously to me i don't think they ever come out and say it but even with uh the hospital staff like he's obviously also has them under some sort of mind control because the, you know from beginning to end this entire issue charles is talking to these guys exactly like they would know each other for a long time and you know he's like thank goodness everyone will think we're complete strangers well you know it's kind of a beautiful scene when that general is talking to xavier and he says you know i was one of the people who thought mutants were a menace and now my my opinion has changed, you know, and, and anyone who says something like that, they're going to be red faced now, you know, because that's just not the case. And then Xavier's inner monologue is like, oh, this is why I released my mental hold on you. I'm like, you just you're doing to him like your students did more good with their selfless acts. And then here you are trying to, like, manipulate someone when they didn't need to be manipulated. And you're proving that other side point that mutants are harmful because you're invading someone's mind without consent and controlling them. But I just, again, Professor Xavier is a jerk. The X-Men themselves, like these teens are doing so much for mutants and Xavier, instead of owning it, making sure he's a proper guiding force, he's just manipulating the government and the military and everything. So. And there's there's an element, again, queer, queer identity. I live in Utah. I work as a therapist with the queer community here. And there's a very predominant religion locally. And you have a lot of people like, oh, I met a gay person once and they weren't so bad. Like, you get a little bit of that from the military general. Like, look, I met a nice mutant. Maybe mutants are okay. I don't have to hate them anymore, uh, which is, which is, ugh, it's exhausting. It's 2021, but this is 1963, so it's okay. Exactly. It's, like, it's the 60s. Like, I, I feel, again, once again, like, I think I said this on my episode it, with, with Trask. It's, we know what comes later on is, is very problematic from their behaviors. But here, I think that is a shift in mentality. And it is a good moral for 60s teenagers or 60s kids to be reading. 
yeah as you as you kind of figure out how to go from being the other or the outcast to yeah. uh to feeling accepted uh we've got the we've got the x-men being loaded into ambulances one one uh one nurse says about beasts but man if this guy ever got an ingrown toenail it'd be ensville which again is such a great one-liner uh i adore how much affection is delivered toward beasts toes consistently uh when we flip the page we could see the destruction of the sentinel base which is quite impressive uh uh bolivar trask's body is somewhere in there uh along with master mold and all the defunct sentinels uh and then we move on to iceman at the hospital where they're realizing he's in a pretty serious state but they actually can't do anything because he's in his ice form so we have this doctor trying to help but doesn't know what to do uh, imagine being a medical professional <laughs> treating a mutant clearly you need very specific specialists for each type of mutant uh, if you don't have, uh, you know, the future beast or Dr. Cecilia Ray's, you're just kind of figuring it out as you go. But that's uh, that's a tricky space for that doctor to be put in with a man that's uh, changed into ice, who's in medical danger. Uh, when we when we get to uh, uh, the next page, we see Angel intercepting a phone call or or checking in on the X Mansion, and he realizes his parents are on their way to the school. Uh, and, and how do Angel and Professor X react? Flip the fuck out. <laughs> We're like, no one's at the school. What are we going to do? Like, Make up a lie. Do another lie. Like, I don't understand why they're so panicked. It's an empty school. <laughs> I'm just, I, on this page, I'm particularly hung up on the sort of absurd ways people are the x-men are trying to conceal their uh secret identities i mean we talked a bit already about sort of how ludicrous that is but i love how beast is like sitting in bed with he appears to have his glasses on right like over his mask and they're talking about like make sure you keep your mask on so you don't reveal your identity and angel like hovers in midair so that no one can see the the number he's dialing on the phone and figure out the the number of the mansion it's it's a little farcical to me. Yeah, because they don't have caller ID back then, right? Like, there's no phone records that show the phone number afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wanted to circle back on Bobby in, in in the hospital, like with his hand over his head. It's freaking adorable. Like, and he's here, like I'm the youngest member of the X Men. I need to. I can't let them down. I'm like, oh, Bobby, you're so precious. <laughs> Love you. Little I was really, Bobby. I was, I was really worried about Bobby too because I thought it was a. Uh... It was quite a shock seeing how, like, the the opening panel, Bobby's just kind of, like, standing up and, you know, they're giving him, like, minor aid. And then all of a sudden, he's just, like, in bed and yeah. and he's in the worst shape of anyone, even though, like, no one said anything or he seemed fine. I was going to say, though, uh, once we get to the panels uh, with, with Angel flying and stuff, uh, calling on the phone... I know the first thing when I was reading this page, I was, I don't know if anyone else thought it, but I was like, if this isn't Reed Richards, it's definitely like his twin brother. I, I guess we were, we're running out of concepts, I guess, of, <laughs> of hair and faces. We get this, oh, yeah, uh, we get this man, temples. yeah, we get this man's, uh, this man's name later. It's Dr. John Thomas. And I, I'm a big fan of the great temples myself. He's, he's quite uh -huh. handsome. If I do say so. <laughs> he's very <laughs> handsome. Very distinguished. It's a good look. Uh, it's a so good look. three issues ago, we saw Angel go home and visit his parents. 
And uh, he sat down to dinner basically, and then got a call about the Sentinels and rushed away. So the, the parents were like, okay, bye. And now they're like, hey, we're coming to visit your school. So they're, uh, they're on their way to visit. I don't know why they don't just tell them like, hey, the students are off on a field trip or we're not home, but they try to find some excuse to not let them go. Uh, for those of us that are queer, did you ever panic that your friends would like, or your parents would find your porn stashed under your mattress? or they would find some sort of clue that you were gay. There's this like, oh no, they're gonna find out we're mutants if they get to the school. We gotta, we gotta run home and hide everything really quick. I don't know, <laughs> Any, anybody go through that? Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, with the little things too, like it, it, not necessarily porn, but like, I liked Sailor Moon a lot back in the 90s. So like, I would buy like a Sailor Moon doll and like, I would hide it somewhere and be like, no, don't find it, so. Far too many of us have been outed before our time. <laughs> uh, so we see Angel uh, rushing home to intercept his parents before they can get there. And we get, this is kind of the first time I think in the X-Men, we get this beautiful splash page of, uh, of Kirby uh, with Angel kind of flying and being his very best self. He's just talking about how free he feels and how wonderful it is to just like let his wings now this is a man that binds his wings down under his clothing constantly so uh how wonderful to see him uh flying free what'd you guys think of this panel or this page which is pretty unusual for this era like you'd have splash like opening page splashes pretty commonly but fairly rare to see a splash page just smack in the middle of an issue yeah i was, I was gonna say to me like especially for this issue this has always been like my favorite page out of this issue uh you know i i always love you know kirby flex and so uh yeah i i think it's good to see angel and like you said uh especially a character that to me uh is almost hidden more than some of the other ones uh especially after going through binding and all that kind of stuff it's great to as you said just be able to see them be himself and just fly and the, the perspective of the like tilted curved earth underneath him as he's flying is is actually kind of great i it gives you like perspective from the air i think it's fantastic it elucidates why angel has such a beautiful wonderful power and why later on when he loses his wings why it was so devastating and so catastrophic because i mean the, you know we we have characters who can't control their powers or or more obvious than others but angel just has these wings and he can fly and i'm thinking of the animated series where he thought it was more of a curse i can't i don't think historically in the comics he really viewed it as a as a curse though chad you can correct me if i'm wrong uh from time to time it depends on the writer i think so often writers of angels see him as like one of the weakest x-men and they're working mm -hmm. so hard to power him up to change him but i yeah. love when writers just let him be like the flying X-Men, you know, like he's he's so amazing in the air uh, when you can capture that in his character uh, and not focus on his riches or, you know, I love Archangel, of course, which is a, a great character turn, but I love when they just let Angel be Angel. But can we talk about his parents, though, in those panels where mm -hmm. Xavier's like, it's exam time No, And they're like, oh, we just want to take a motor trip <laughs> over. <laughs> like, we'll be just a few minutes. I'm like, you're literally going to take your motor trip and just go by your son's school and just be there for a few minutes. Like, stop. get the hint, Worthington's. And, and these guys are billionaires. They're just out for a little Sunday drive. You know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, so Angel gets back to the school and what happens? 
Oh my. <laughs> Those beautiful <laughs> traps. Eyes. Traps, traps, traps. Traps. We get a purple glove opening the door, which is the first hint it's Magneto. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what does Angel fly into when he gets inside? Oh, you know, an axe. <laughs> <laughs> a flying metal axe through the air and a dropping glass panel that he crashes into, which leaves him unconscious. Poor Angel. Yeah, I mean, and then you yeah. see the silhouette. Mm-hmm. Magneto's pissed. So there was a few issues back where Magneto did not know where the X-Men lived. I don't know exactly when he discovered the location of the mansion, but he's been here for a minute. He's been mm-hmm. setting traps, laying down traps for each one. And, you know, he gets them one by one. So there's this kind of creeping horror presence in the background waiting for each of the X-Men to arrive so he can take them out. It's yeah, Magneto scary. basically turns into, like, Jigsaw in this issue. Hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Jig- Jigsaw from the movies, not the Punisher villain, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> important, important clarification. Yeah. Yes. For, for the Marvel fans out there who don't know their horror films. Are you a, are you a Jigsaw fan, Patrick? Um, I, I have a complex relationship with the Saw movies. I've seen them all. There are very few that I like and would wholeheartedly endorse to someone, but they hold a perverse fascination for me. You're here. <laughs> I don't I don't think I've ever really explored the Saw movies sidebar but that's a another one yeah yeah I mean I, think I saw them once or twice like in college but I never revisited them it's definitely not on my Halloween watch list watch the first one the the, the twist still slaps otherwise they're um they're not great hmm. the best kind of fascinations are perverse ones though yes oh yeah in my opinion for sure <laughs> I was so, gonna say the uh, the traps, traps and saw still might be better than Magneto's traps in this. <laughs> so we we I, get back we get back to the hospital where uh, Cyclops is demonstrating to a doctor why it's a bad idea for him to take off his glasses. I will destroy you with my optic beams if I do so. Good and, heavens. Uh, and then Professor X, instead of just taking the whole team back, he just is like, why don't you and I, Cyclops, drive back to the mansion ourselves? Uh, we can't, I can't contact Angel, uh, so let's let's figure out what's happening. Uh, so they get back and there's more traps laid out. Cerebro is screaming. And uh, what does Magneto do to these two? Oh, he attacks Xavier with, what are those coils from, from Cerebro? It's, it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. It's the, the one type of weapon disorder. I cannot fight. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like an anti-telepathy cable of some kind, which is going to block his powers. And and it is not the one type of weapon he cannot fight. We could provide a long list of technology that Xavier has no defense against, from bombs to guns to all kinds of things. But this is the one thing that he that he cannot no. fight. And then he what? He decks Cyclops. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he traps Cyclops in a dark room, and Cyclops tries to kind of blast all around him, but Magneto can create shields, right? So then he just punches him in the face and knocks him out. So we, we've got three captured <laughs> X-Men now, which is kind of amazing, I think. Any thoughts? Did you guys enjoy these uh, th- this brief battle between Cyclops and Professor X with Magneto? I love how uh, Magneto pulls the classic like walk into a glass window trick on Cyclops and just drops down a tran- a transparent shield. It dropped down between us and he just runs right into it. 
some of these traps are pretty silly. Oh, the wires that get Professor X, they're called mechanical mental wave distorters. Yes, there we go. There you go. I had to get the term down. I love, I love Stan Lee's like big giant words to describe technology back then. <laughs> Just ridiculous inventions across uh, the Avengers and Thor and Captain America, all the old 60s comics have these just bizarre uh, mechanical devices with huge names. It makes mm -hmm. me happy. I was gonna say, I like my uh, my my big my big thing, uh, especially with like the Cyclops takedown, is this is like the one way I don't like Magneto is like just kind of like this big oof. Like he's it's all he's doing is like. I'm just gonna like punch you in the face. I seems with most of these traps, they're kind of like the most unmagneto way to do anything. Now, and of course, like you had said before, like I guess in hindsight, I mean, we're still the reader is still really relatively new to Magneto, so they don't have all this history with him. But yeah, I think going back on it, I'm just like, ugh. So Magneto, we're just going to get the old, like, punch him in the face. Well, Magneto yeah, it's funny. Be oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say it's funny because Magneto obviously has, um, you know, such an incredible power that he can do so much with. And for a lot of this issue, it's oddly as though Stan just kind of forgot Magneto's mm. main power because so many of so much of the way he defeats the X-Men has nothing to do with his magnetism. And it's like, dude. You've got all this like right at your <laughs> fingertips. Why are you doing all this like arcade shit, basically? You well, know? especially in the coming pages with these. <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. You took the time to do that to the floors, really? My, my <laughs> yeah. kids and I, my sons are 12 and 10, and we've been re-watching. <laughs> they love it, but they hate it. We've been re-watching the old Batman series from the 60s. Mm. Uh, just oh. like one episode a week and my my 10 year old is like incensed at the end of every episode like <laughs> he's like so that a cake exploded and the police had to call batman and then <laughs> instead of just killing him the villains like put him in a hot air balloon and with like a shark like what the hell like it's, it's always these ridiculous like plots uh and, and you can see a lot of that in in 60s comics across the board there's just this bizarre uh, like level to the villainous plots. The Vanisher, as an example, back in issue two, like he teleports into the bank and he's like, I'm coming back to rob you later. And then he teleports away. And you're like, what? Just rob them. Like, what's wrong with you? It's ridiculous. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Rowan. Oh, no, I was just going to say too, like uh, the second last panel on page 12 uh, with the takedown of Cyclops. Magneto is holding a metal pipe and just like hits him with a metal pipe. <laughs> like the one, I didn't the notice one that. yeah, like the one time like we could really just flex his powers, like you could just you know mentally pick up this pipe and hit him with it. But no, I'll just grab it and hit him with it. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly he's clearly off his meds. There's something going on here. Magneto. Well, and you you know, you have to um I guess sort of consider that era of comics in context too. Cause you know, they were, they were turning the crank. They were trying to put out a product on a very, very, uh, you know, accelerated schedule. And you have to take into account, you know, what degree of camp, you know, along the lines of the Batman series that Chad was just talking about. Can you um, factor in here as well as just, you know, Kirby did some layouts. I forget who the penciler is on this issue, but, you know, by the old Marvel method, they just 
through some stuff and Stan put words to it, you know, and especially with these early issues, I feel like they weren't, uh, you know, putting the level of energy or, or, or care into it that they did with, you know, your yeah, the, Spider-Man or Dr. Strange or whatever. The penciler here is, is, uh, is Jack Kirby and then who did the layouts and then it's finished by Jay Gavin, which was a pseudonym for Werner Roth. Uh, oh, okay. Who does a lot of great work back then. Um, we go to the next page and this is saying something. If you've listened to our podcast, we've, we've had a lot of conversations about sexism and the way Jean Grey is treated. This page, and I'm, I'm actually sad that Heather's not here because I would love to get her take. This is the most problematic page in the X-Men thus far, as far as sexism goes. And keep in mind, Jean has been grabbed. She has been thrown. She has been called girl and female. But Beast here, oh my God, not okay. Hashtag me too, hashtag time's up. It is not all right the way that this has happened. So Beast is healed, which means he was either faking it or he has some sort of minor healing factor because his foot was broken, but now he's all better. He's bouncing all over the room like ADHD beast, throwing huge words around. Uh, Jean comes in to check on him. She's worried about the teammates. And, uh, and he says, I'm just going to quote a few of his words toward her directly. Uh, she says, you're impossible. He says, very, I don't even know how to say this word. Perspicacious. Perspicacious of you, wench. He calls her wench. Uh, then, uh, she twirls him around in the air to try to get him to calm down. And he says, prattle away then female, you have my undivided attention. Uh, shortly after that, she's worried about her teammates. And he says, just like a woman, if someone isn't fracturing your eardrums every conceivable minute, you begin to fear that something's amiss. Now I know men like this in my real life that treat women in the workplace or at school just ridiculously, but Beast is so over the top here. Give me some of your reactions. Uh, I know we have some big Gene fans in the room. How do you feel here? Well, I, I'm a huge Gene stan, but I fucking hate Beast more. So <laughs> fuck you, Dr. Hank McCoy. I'm sorry, where did you get your PhD? No one knows. So A. <laughs> B, he uses hyperbolic language instead of just talking to people one-on-one -on -one because one would assume maybe he has no way of emotionally connecting with people. And this scene right here elucidates that. But I just think he's the worst. How do you talk to your teammate like that when she has valid concerns? You know, regardless of gender, beast, you're supposed to be the smartest guy here. She's like, I'm concerned about our teammates. It's like, just like a woman. Fuck off, beast. Sorry. Mm, no, he can fuck off. He can fuck right off. Yeah, I mean, I'm no Gene fan, but uh, <gasps> and it, and it does. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. <gasps> But it does. Uh, how do you mute someone? <laughs> <laughs> As a guest, how do I mute? Them? <laughs> That's very Gene of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it very takes, dark Phoenix of me. It is. That's true. It takes a lot for me to feel sorry for Gene, but I feel sorry for Gene on a regular basis in early X Men. I don't know. This is a weird page. I feel like I don't know. Stan was having a bad day or something. I feel like but, Stan had some some issues to work out that day. Or, or, I mean, probably just in general, but especially but, when he was writing this page. I think like, the idea because it's such a progressive story, and like the issue I read. I mean, they, this is progressive for the time, but like the way. Beast was talking to Jean in the issue I read. She was here like, uh, thanks, Hank. I'm going to levitate myself up. I almost feel that like Stan is trying to elucidate the fact that what Beast is saying is wrong and you can't talk to a woman like that. She can rise above it. But in this scene right here, 
I don't know where, I don't see the consequence. I don't see Jean one-upping him other than later on, she's the last to get captured. Um, but I, I do think he is purposely being written as a douche and being problematic, if that makes sense. I think he is supposed to be written and you're not supposed to, you're supposed to not like what he's saying, even in the 60s. Does that I'm make gonna, sense? I'm going to presume that right before this scene was written, Stan Lee tried to like make a pass at his secretary and she wasn't having it. And now he's yeah. taking it out from Beast on Jean here. But Jean does stand up for herself here, which is in the early issue she didn't do. She is standing up for herself. She's not taking it. Uh, although she doesn't call him on it either, and she totally should. I yeah, was but gonna say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go. I can rant for hours about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, this. I think this is a weird, weird, uh, just kind of weird page that I don't know. I feel like Stan just has to have it in anything he writes. I, to me, when I read this, all I thought about was. Fantastic Four, Stanley, Fantastic Four, which probably far more problematic because I mean, Fantastic Four, you know, the early issues, Stan's got Reed like hitting Sue, and and yeah, it, it's just this weird hang up that I find Stan always has this odd relationship with with women that he writes that he's always like has some sort of violence enacted on them. And I, you know, I don't think he necessarily deserves the right. Cause I don't think he ever fully, you know, empowers them. Like it doesn't do anything. And usually most of the time I, I was kind of surprised, uh, you know, th that this kind of just breezed by because I know with Sue, you know, with Fantastic Four, if something happens, usually she's quiet about it. Like, oh, I just got slapped. What did I do? And that's usually the stand go to. But yeah, well, he's he's writing for boys. He's not writing for girls. He's putting a girl on each team. But Jean's being written for boys here, right? It's something to, interesting to consider. You've got like white boys, white <laughs> white teenagers in the sixties. This is the target audience here. But still, it's it's very problematic and very uncomfortable. I almost want to see like a modern comic revisit this scene and Gene being like, "Hey, do you remember that time you called me wench at the hospital?" Fuck you! <laughs> like I kind of I kind of <laughs> want to see it because oof. Uh, in the in the last issue of X Force, which just came out a few weeks ago, there Beast is sitting and monologuing to himself uh, about how people want the fun beast back, but he, but the world needs him to be a bastard. They need him to be the bastard so that he can protect mutants. And like, I feel like Benjamin uh, Percy in that scene, like is writing what we're all thinking, but beast has been a bastard all along when you take this scene, my God, he's terrible. <laughs> and, and, they need and, to, no, I'm go sorry. ahead. Well, no, I was, I was just gonna say, they need to revisit, revisit this page and then have an editorial note that just says, Sea Dark Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say something similar. Like, I would like to see this panel revisited, especially in X-Force, where Gene flat out says early on in the run, like, Hank, don't ever pat fucking patronize me again. <laughs> and, you know, he's been doing this for a while. I didn't realize how problematic Beast was until I've been reading these issues for your podcast, Chad. I'm like, he, he really is a douche. I mean, before it was just fun hating him. Now I really fucking hate him. 
Professor X is bossy. Uh, Angel is a little grabby, but Beast is an outright asshole. <laughs> like so often to Gene, and he keeps grabbing everybody. All right. Anyway, so Gene, Gene and Marvel Girl. I'm sorry, Marvel Girl and Beast then rush back to uh, the mansion. We see Jean using her powers to levitate some more, which is great. That's something she learned just a couple of issues ago. And uh, tell me about the traps Magneto has laid out for these two. It's ridiculous. Well, can we talk about the moment where he jumps out the window and she follows him out the window and then seemingly realizes in midair that she can float herself down using her telekinesis? Oh, that cracked me I up. Forgot. <laughs> that cracked me up. <laughs> of course, I forgot. I can float myself down gently by means of my power of levitation while you're already, while you have already jumped out a window. <laughs> amazing maybe she thought beast would catch her <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so what traps did magneto lay for these two he uh, waxed the, the floor, floor. He this waxed is my favorite one he waxed the floor like literally <laughs> the master of magnetism waxed the floor like come on <laughs> uh not just the floor but the walls and ceilings the walls yeah too. yeah yeah i'm sorry everything so so beast can't be agile he got a big giant truck full of Vaseline and just piped <laughs> out all over the hall so the beast would slide into a wall when he gets inside. He got it from <laughs> I, a stranger. <laughs> when I saw this trap, I like to, uh, I, I was giggling because I like to imagine like all the prep time and Magneto coming in beforehand. And he's just like, ah, oh, I got to do the floors and the wall. And I'm, I'm just going to assume he did the ceiling too. Like why leave a job undone? Oh my but God. I, I want like a flashback issue now where we, it just focuses on Magneto's prep work for this and his inner, <laughs> inner thoughts as he's setting all this up. Oh, so delicious. And then, uh, and then Gene, what's the trap for Gene? Kind of, I was going to say kind of, a rehash almost of Cyclops. Like we get her like trapped again uh, with the, you know, the doors close on Beast. So they trap her from that side. There's and sleepy gas. And then sleeping the sleepy gas. gas. He gasses her. In. Like literally, so you're like a whiff of this back gas and you're going to go to bed now, Marvel girl. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's so delightful. My favorite thing about the 60s is these elaborate, ridiculous, like, villain schemes. It makes me so happy. Uh, we go back to the hospital. We see the doctor's super worried about Iceman. Uh, and he uh, is getting a new experimental drug to try to take care of him. I adore how much effort the doctor's putting into protecting Iceman here. Uh, the media come in and they're asking all kinds of questions. And he basically tells them to fuck off. They threaten him, like, what would our readers think? He's like, I don't give a shit what your readers think. I've got my work to do. So I, 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 I kind of love the doctor here. I think he's amazing. I mean, so. even though I bristled at his treatment of the media as a journalist myself, I, I do have to say, I think Dr. John Thomas may be the secret hero of this issue. Mm -hmm. Although, yeah, you know, me. media, I, I'm all for media as well. But these they're like trying to blackmail and guilt him into getting yeah. the story. So they kind of deserved it. They are not acting <laughs> ethically. <laughs> Uh, and then we jump back to Magneto, who literally could just murder his foes right here. Uh, he, could, <laughs> he could do all kinds of things, but what does he choose to do, of all things? Speaking of 1960s Batman ridiculousness. 
Put he puts put them it. in a hot hot air balloon in, in like a little capsule and like bye-bye and they float away. <laughs> he puts them in a steel gondola and lets them <laughs> drift into the atmosphere where they can uh, they can choke to death uh, or, or or suffocate to death. Uh, I mean, he could even like shoot it into space, right? Like he could just, he could <laughs> shoot, but he just lets it like drift away. It's almost like he's toying with them a little bit. He wants to see how far he can push their limits. I, I don't know. It's a ridiculous plot. Uh, less ridiculous have, than a Vaseline hallway, but still. I have to say I loved it. I, I realized I've been talking mad shit on most of Magneto's traps so far, but I love this hot air balloon. It's such a goofy concept. It's memorable. Like I read this fairly recently and this was the main thing that stuck in my memory from this issue and the storyline was this crazy steel gondola attached to a hot air balloon. It was, it's delightful. Uh, then we finally have the Worthingtons arriving at the school. They knock, knock, and there is a crazy man dressed in a helmet and cape and purple and pink stand or purple and red standing inside. Uh, what do you guys, so we get another splash page. What do you guys think of the, ex Mag Magneto's like full on Quasimodo on this final page. Like what <laughs> happened to his face here? <laughs> he, uh, he says, uh, they say, who are you? He says, I am power. Men call me Magneto. Uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on the conclusion? I think I actually, boyfriend just got back from space and he's a little deranged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's got full-on crazy eyes. I actually love this rendition of him. He's, I mean, he looks scary and he's towering over the Worthingtons. Um, I, I thought it was a pretty impactful cliffhanger. Yeah, agreed. I think it's really scary. Uh, these two human parents uh, don't know what they're walking into. I, Speaking of the human parents, I love how they're driving over there and they're like, we really miss Warren. And they're they're talking about like, oh, how does Xavier afford the school with such little kids? I'm like, you guys are very wealthy, well-to-do parents. Why aren't you suggesting you'll donate? Why didn't you investigate the school a little bit more? I don't know the back history of how Angel's parents let him go. I think I read Angel Revelations, which came back out decades later. But I was like, wow, these parents are just so oblivious. You got to presume that Xavier just fucked with their brains. Yeah. Like give give me your money but he has his own wealth too he's he's a very rich man but the worthingtons are described as like the fifth richest people on the planet at one point like they they have they have quite a bit of money but uh yeah if there's only five students in the school i'd be wondering the same thing frankly when in doubt assume xavier fucked with somebody's brain <laughs> it's always a safe bet uh, so as we conclude, we have this giant cliffhanger of the the parents of Angel uh, being held by Magneto. Uh, when we look at the next uh, the next cover, give me some of your preliminary thoughts as you look at the cover for uh, X Men eighteen next time. I I love that they foreshadowed with Iceman, him saying like oh, I'm the youngest, I need to save them, I need to when he was asleep. That was some nice foreshadowing. They laid the plot for the next issue. Mm -hmm. And Iceman really hasn't had a lot of airtime across the series. So for him to take center stage next issue is fantastic. Uh, it looks like Avier, uh, uh, Magneto's uh, severed the heads of the X-Men and hung them on the wall. <laughs> yeah, it does. He also has I, incredible flashlight powers. I always love, I mean, it's, it's a comics trope that's been done so many times, but I always love when a villain takes out the entire team except for one member, and then it's down to that one member to, to save the day. I always love that trope. And uh, yeah, that that alone, I mean, even though I did read that issue recently, um, still makes me excited about the conclusion of the story. Yeah. 
Uh, Rowan, uh, you being the horror expert among us, how does this issue stand up as a suspense or horror uh, build for a 1960s comic book? Uh, I mean, I, to me, this is a, a, a horror comedy just uh, <laughs> due to the ridiculousness of the traps. Uh, you know, for the, for the 60s, I think you kind of, you know, hit the nail on the head. Uh, you were talking about, like, you know, the 60s Batman. And this kind of really gives me those feels where it's just, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily suspense, but, you know, it's kind of kind of funny. And, and the traps, like, even though they're lame, like, you know, they just have kind of laughable conclusions. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I think with the final splash page, uh, and the, you know, if you tie it in with the next cover, like I just to respond to the question with the cliffhanger, like I I think it was a pretty effective cliffhanger because, like you said, at this point in time, uh, you know, people Magneto was kind of out of the picture, so you know, people, uh, what did you estimate, like a year over a year, so that you know. For, I'm thinking for, you know, teenage, young teenage boys, Magneto's probably out of their mind. Uh, you know, they're not thinking about him. So uh, it's a pretty pretty good cliffhanger ending. It's just a shame we couldn't uh, get some of that meaty in the middle. Patrick, how about your thoughts? Uh, how does this stand up as a horror book? Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would sort of echo what Rowan said. I mean, obviously, I've been laughing at the the traps a bit along the way. Um, but yeah, I like that final splash page. As I said, it communicates a lot of menace, um, which most of the book up until that point doesn't. Um, and, you know, I mean, another trope that I do enjoy is the villain taking out everybody with uh, well-planned traps. So there was some enjoyment to that for me. Um, just again, they were rather silly and seemed like a mis misuse of Magneto's. Powers. I mean, the title the title itself is "And None Shall Survive," right? Like you're setting in, you're setting in, and it's scary. Uh, so, in conclusion, uh, tell me what your very single favorite moment in this comic book was, and who was your star player in today's issue? Uh, my my star player today, I think, was Magneto. I I adore just his sheer fuckery <laughs> like the ridiculousness of all of all of his actions uh he gets even more extra in the next issue he's just all ranty and ravey but uh but the vaseline hallway has to be my single favorite moment uh in this <laughs> issue if i have to choose just one it's just fantastic uh, how much for you guys Uh, I mean, I said it already, but I, you know, Dr. John Thomas, I think kind of saves the day, especially because he's taking care of Iceman. He's keeping Iceman in fighting shape to uh, save the day next issue. So that's important. And I, as far as my favorite moment, I still love that the balloon just descending into the sky. I love how it slowly fades over the course of, I think, three panels. It's just, it is such a silly moment, but also... It is a little, a little spooky and a little unnerving to just watch the X Men float away in this prison. Yeah, fair. Uh, I was gonna say, you know, probably just because of the chuckle I got out of it. My favorite scene was definitely Magneto hitting them with the pipe. That one <laughs> I got like a really good laugh out of. Uh, I'm gonna like do a, a zig for the who wins it. 
I think uh, the winner of the issue is the parents. It doesn't matter what Charles wants. They got to go on their drive and no <laughs> one was stopping them. I like, I like this willpower. <laughs> we are white billionaires and no one will tell us what to do. <laughs> I mean, Charles really could have just, you know, done what he does to everyone else in the universe, which is just control them and control their minds. But you can't stop them. They're, they're multi-billionaires. How about for you, Dayspring? My favorite scene was Hank McCoy slipping on the wax floor, wax walls, everything, <laughs> anywhere, anytime that Beast falls flat on his face, I'm happy. Uh, my MVP is going to be the general. I thought what he said was was really great. You know, I think it gave a lesson to, you know, kids in the 60s, little boys in the 60s, especially when it says all those people called the X-Men menaces to society will have a lot of apologizing to do. In fact, I myself used to fear their power until I saw how they risked their lives to help us all. So I really thought that was just like a nice little message. And, and I like, again, like with trust, like these normal humans who see the X-Men and they're like, no, these are mutants are using their powers to help us. I really do like that idea for the 60s and for readers to inhale that as, as kids. Uh, we'll be back next week with If Iceman Should Fail, when we uh, continue the uh, the battle, you know, will the X-Men uh, uh, drift into space and asphyxiate? Uh, tune in next week, same X time, same X channel. There's a <laughs> Batman reference for everybody. Uh, what a pleasure to hang out with you guys this afternoon. Uh, where can people find you on social media, uh, either you or your podcasts and work? Uh, I'm at Neverending X-Men if you want to follow my journey through all the X-Men comics. And if you want to check out my horror movie podcast, Every Horror Movie on Netflix, that's at E-H-M-O-N cast for Every Horror Movie on Netflix cast on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it's really fun, actually. I listened to a few of your episodes last week. Uh, it's it's oh, awesome. Time. Thank you. Uh, and for me, uh, our podcast is the It Slaves podcast. If you search it in anything, we're we're on everything. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, on Instagram, I was going to say uh, I'm Biggie Halls on Instagram. And, you know, every once in a while, I post some cool comic stuff I pick up. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm at Power of X-Men on Instagram. We just had Namor cosplay do an Instagram takeover. So if you see photos of a very handsome man in Namor cosplay, that is not me. <laughs> but we, we're, we're somewhat active on Twitter. It depends on my mood. But you can find the podcast on YouTube and all podcast platforms at Power of X-Men. Well, I'm going to go find an old 80s scary movie to watch tonight, and uh, I look forward to collaborating yeah. with you guys again soon. Thank you so much for yeah. being here. Uh, Gray Malkin Lane can be found at Gray Malkin P, Paper Podcast on Twitter, or Gray Malkin Lane on Instagram. We uh, will see you guys back here next week, and uh, thank you so much for being with us.